All right. We are in a series on life together. And as we know, that word comes from Bonhoeffer's great book, Life Together on Community. If you ever have an opportunity to read it, it's actually an astounding book. It's actually very challenging, but it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, and so today we, we've been working through this text from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read it to you again. It's, it's at, at the time of Pentecost. Uh, Peter gets up, gives the first great gospel preach. Uh, and, and people ask, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 that first day get added to their number. And, it's, and it goes on to say, and they devoted these 3,000 plus the 120, plus any others that might have got snuck in during the night. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, life together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's such a beautiful picture of the early church. Uh, we don't live 2,000 years ago. We live today. So how do we take that and appropriate it into the way that we live life together as community, as God's people today? And so today we're going to talk about life together, what it looks like to praise they praised God together. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. But before we do that, in one of the songs that we sang was um, we were filling up the sky with endless praise. Do you remember that line? And it, it always reminds me of many years ago hearing a teaching on worship and praise. And if you've watched, anyone watch old World War II movies and the, and the, the allies are going in with their bombers and they're going to bomb or the... Nazis are coming the other way to bomb Britain, and they begin to use anti-aircraft, and they begin to fill the sky with ammunition, with lead, hoping it will hit aircraft. I'm an, I was in an anti-aircraft regiment, so I understand that one. So they just fill the earth, they, I mean, fill the sky. They would be aiming at a plane, but the sights in those days weren't so great. So they would just fire as much lead into the sky as they could possibly get in there, and it would hit planes and pull them down hit the enemy planes. They were filling up the sky with lead. And I think it's important for us to understand that as believers, we, our fight is not against flesh and blood. When we have a fight, John and I have a fight. It's, we have a fight, but there's something else that's at work as well. There's a spiritual realm that is wrestling and wanting to undermine everything that God is doing on the earth. Now, we should never th think that the devil is the opposite of God. Those never... God is way above anything else. But the devil has authority, and, he's, and he has power, and it's a spiritual power, and it's in the atmosphere. So when we praise, it's like we throw up spiritual lead into the atmosphere that's going to strike some of these powers and principalities and bring them down. There's something powerful about praising and worshiping together, even when we don't feel like it, or we don't feel like we're achieving anything. And we get, oh, why are we doing this Sunday after Sunday? I don't really feel like doing that. Well, it's because we are participating with the great body of Christ across the earth, sending up spiritual lead into the sky to deal with powers and principalities. 
It's really important. It's not a like, oh, that's a sideline. We know. No, it's actually really, really important. Saying that, I'm going to cover some other things. So when it says they were praising God, that word for praise in the Greek, ananeo, or its derivative, ananatus, means the joyful praise of God expressed in doxology or in hymn or prayer or commendation by the community of disciples. It's that which a community of people who are on journey following Jesus together, what we do to express our adoration, our affection, our love, our worship to the great creator God, Yahweh, revealed in Jesus toward us. It doesn't always have to be in song. Actually, mostly it's not in song. And we're going to touch on that today. If you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, I'll read it to you, verse 5. It's a great verse. It uses exactly the same word. And it says, and from the throne came a voice. So it's from the throne. This is God speaking. From the throne. Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. That covers the gamut of who we are as believers. It doesn't matter if you think you're good or you're not good. You think you're a, you know, a super-duper Christian or you're not such a super-duper Christian. It, we are called to praise God. It's that same word, to commend God, to honor him, to give him all the glory that's due him. That word, another derivative of that word, can be used to tell a story. So in Luke, I think it's Luke 18, there's a story where Jesus heals a blind beggar. At the end, he says, go, don't go tell anyone. But he goes and tells everybody this great news of what God has done, and everyone's praising. It's the same derivative word there. So when we talk about these people, they were praising God. They were doing it in the temple courts, and they were doing it in their homes. So there was a sense of public, a sense of more private. They were commending. They were honoring God in their midst. And it wasn't just the endless singing of songs. So let's look at this. What? So my question for you is, what does it look like for a community of disciples of Jesus to praise God in our context in the 21st century? Because we don't live there. We don't go to the temple courts day in and day out and wrestle the scriptures sitting on the steps. We don't do that. So we're in a different world. So what does it look like for us? So I'd like to start by reminding you of what a disciple is. We started this journey of what does it mean to live as disciples of Jesus in Los Angeles. So what is a disciple? You know, a student, an apprentice, is one who intent on becoming like their teacher, deliberately and progressively over a lifetime, rearranges and reorders their life and affairs to that end. Over the journey of our life, as we decide to become disciples of Jesus, be followers of Jesus, we begin to rearrange our life, reorder our life to that end. And for some, they do things quickly. Some takes a long time. It's a lifetime endeavor. We never stop being disciples. We never stop being students, apprentices to Jesus. It's every day. We do it Every day. There's not the Christian and then the super-duper Christians are disciples. No, they, they, they were called disciples. That's what we are. And so when we rearrange our, all, our affairs and reorder our lives, and that includes our habits and our practices and our priorities and the way that we speak and our life together in community and our finances and just 
every gamut of our life gets included under that, that God wants us to rearrange and reorder so that it, we live as disciples. The idea is not, not one should leave today feeling guilty because this is a grace journey. This nobody's got it together. It's a grace journey of us saying, we're following you, Jesus. We want to be your students. We want to be your apprentices. Would you shape us and mold us? We, you, we did nothing to get saved, but we, we, we join with you in this journey of sanctification as you shape us into your likeness and shape us into your image and shape us to become like Jesus. It's a great thing. We reorder. So we look at every aspect of our lives and say, God, keep showing us. How can we change? How can we reorder that? Um, so we remember that it's done within a community of grace, which we began to speak about last week in a wonderful way. Shelley did an amazing thing. When Shelley got up, I, I told this to Shelley, so no, she, when she got up to speak last Sunday, I thought, what the heck? Sh- caring is sharing. What? And then it just slowly unpacked, and it just it left us with that, oh, my goodness. Was, there, was, there was something God did. It was this honest, are we ready to be loved? Are we ready to receive from God? Are you open to someone loving you? It's an amazing thing to be loved. That's the community of grace, is to be loved. And so when we talk about being a disciple and reordering our lives, it's in this great arena of grace. It's not in the arena of law. It's not in the arena of regulation. It's not in the arena of you must and you should and you ought. It's in the arena of grace. Come follow and I'll make you into something. But not only is it in the arena of grace, which is our community, it's also in the empowering of grace. And God says to Paul, that great, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. He's going through a tough time and he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. There's an, there's an empowering in the grace of Jesus. So as we do these things, talking about praise, there's a grace in God for us to live the life that he wants us to live. He doesn't expect us to live here and not give us the resources or the grace or the power or anything to be able to live the life. He wants to give us that. And both of those, the arena of grace and the empowering of grace, knowing we were saved by grace as well, always point to the man of grace, Jesus, who came full of grace and truth. If it doesn't point to Jesus, it's not worthwhile doing. If our community doesn't point to Jesus, it's not worth participating in. We looked to Jesus. And so as we praise Jesus, as we worship Jesus, we do it in the public place, we do it in our homes, and the places where we gather. Now, I hazard a guess that in the last month, almost every one of you met someone and had a meal or in a coffee shop or a restaurant or in your home or something. Those are the spaces where we also praise God. And we'll touch on it now. So I've got six areas. As we, What does it mean to praise God in our context, with our community in this day and age? Number one, Community singing, which we did this afternoon, which is what we generally know as praise and worship. We sing together. Is that right? Who's, is anyone bored with worship like that? I, want, I sometimes get really bored. I've done it for 36 years. I still love it, but sometimes I get bored. 
But I don't want to get bored. Because actually the Bible is rich in that sort of language. The people of God over the centuries are rich in that sort of practice. And that's one thing that almost every culture on the planet does together, is they sing together. They sing in pain, they sing in joy, they sing when a baby's born, they sing when someone gets married, they sing when someone dies because there's a lament. Singing is a huge part of what it means to be community in our world. And so as we translate that into what it means to be believers as Christians, Christ followers, disciples of Jesus, we sing. We fill up the sky with endless praise. If you go look at the Old Testament, just a a rudimentary study of the Old Testament, taking every word for praise, it's boisterous and loud and demonstrative. It's not quiet, laid back. There's something powerful about it. We sing together. We take the words. We look at the book of Revelation. They're singing together. Something we do. And so when we come together, and I don't, want, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that one because I think most of us have heard talks on praise and worship. But I want to say this. When we come together, our worship is not dependent upon how you feel today. It's dependent upon who God is. Because if it was dependent upon how we f- feel There might be days where God gets no praise whatsoever. He's always worthy of praise. He's Yahweh. He's creator God. And so it's dependent upon him, not upon us. So sometimes you have to offer up a sacrifice of praise because you don't feel like doing it. Is that right? That's that little angle you've heard lots of teaching on over the years. But it's actually maybe an hour a week. I don't think we sing for an hour. So maybe if you go to home group and someone rips out a guitar and we sing, maybe another half hour. So let's be totally generous and get 90 minutes of singing worship in a week. But we spend so much time emphasizing that aspect of it. And I don't want to under- sell that. You hear what I'm saying? I want to say, no, this is important, but I want to now speak about the rest of the week. Because these people were praising God every day in the timber courts, in their homes. There was this continuity. There was something happening for the people of God. What did that look like? So number two, I think there's community declaration. Where sometimes we stand and we declare what God is, who he is, what he's done. And it doesn't have to be in song. It can be through scripture. You can write something yourself. You can write poetry. You can do whatever. Where we declare who God is, what he has done. He is faithful. He is beautiful. He is wondrous. Because truth be told, Buzz, help me as a musician. What percentage of the, of the world can sing and can't sing in tune? You know, a lot of people don't sing in tune. So you just might be one of those people. So singing for you just goes, ah, it doesn't sound like praise to God. It does, but to your ear it doesn't. You might have to declare it. And the Bible is rich where they declared the goodness and the greatness of God. We should do that as well as community. That's part of what it means to praise God. As you by yourself, or as a family, or as friends together, just acknowledging, man, isn't God faithful? That's a declaration of praise. Isn't God 
faithful. Thirdly, recounting stories of God's faithfulness and his provision and his goodness. So this is one I think we can do a lot of. We go have breakfast with people, we have coffee with people, we have a drink with someone, you share a glass of whiskey, whatever we're doing. There's an opportunity to actually praise God just by sharing with one another. And I, as a guest, and I listen, you know, just to general conversations, the way that I speak. We speak a lot about, currently, House of Cards. Who's watching House of Cards? We speak about House of Cards a lot. Wonder Woman. If you've been to see Wonder Woman. A lot of people, it's a good, apparently a good movie, I want to see it. We speak a lot about our jobs. We speak sometimes about our families. We speak about coffee. We speak about whiskey. We speak about baseball. We speak about real football. We speak about American football. We speak about basketball with, you know, Clippers and Lakers and the, everyone hates the Warriors. And they want to, we, we, that fills our conversation. How much in that conversation do we take a moment and speak about Jesus and his goodness and his faithfulness to us? Just as part of the routine of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to speak about that act whom we love. I would hazard a guess from my, if I look at my own life, not judging a single person, look at my own life, Jesus is pretty low down on the rank of love because I generally speak about Liverpool a lot more than I speak about Jesus when, it, when I, I'm talking about horizontal conversations with people. I think I've spoken to Jaden a lot more about Liverpool and Manchester United rivalry than I have spoken about how Jesus loves us. But to declare God's praise in relationship is to let's speak about the faithfulness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, how Jesus has honored us or blessed us or provided for us, brought us through a struggle, helped us. Those are also part of the journey of our conversations. And I want to encourage us to that place in our worship because we'd spend a lot more time doing that than we do singing songs in church. Is that a good one? Are you all on board with that? Four. How about also commending the, eight, the attributes of God to one another in conversation? This is slightly different. Where sometimes we just, you know, Shelley, I have a con- coffee with Shelley. Shelley, don't you think that God's an awesome creator? Look around us. Isn't that awesome? Shelley says, man, amen, brother. How's your day going? (laughs) How's your day going? And we end the conversation. But there's just that reminder of who Jesus is in our lives on a continual basis. Otherwise, when we do come together as community... And we do come together to offer up the sacrifice of praise, the singing, the throwing up spiritual lead into the atmosphere. We have nothing to draw from because our week is not saturated in honoring God like that. So now we start drawing generally from the dregs of our lives, not the overflow of the conversation of the goodness and the greatness 
of who Jesus is. I'm not asking you to be weird. That's not what we're asking. You know, sit down and praise God. Shelly, isn't God so good? Ooh. Oh, no, no. Just, isn't God good? Number five, praying together for God's involvement in our affairs and our families and our lives. What we're doing there is acknowledging the need of God. That's part of it. Because I can just get through my day and I don't need God. I'm not acknowledging him. I just get through on my own strength, on my own resources. But when I pray... I'm saying, God, would you involve yourself? I need you. I can't do this by myself. I can get through the day, sure, but I'm not necessarily going to get through victorious, refreshed, ministering to people, whatever. I need your involvement in my lives. That's declaring God's praise, but you're saying, I need you. Can we do that as well? There's a beautiful text in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, which is not the one we read. We'll read that one in a moment. It says, well, when you come into the land that I've given you, and you've built your houses and and grown your vineyards and grown your land. You've got all your sheep and everything's good. Do not say to yourself, look at what I've done. No, give thanks to God because he gave you the ability to make wealth and to do it. That's praise. It's that honoring, that prayer. God, I need you to be able to do the things you want me to do and to live this life, just the mundane. So my news, I've got a new title for life is Celebrating the Mundane. Because most of us live in the mundane every single day. Mundane. You go to that job, it's the best new job you've ever got. Within a week, it's mundane. When I became a pastor, I did not sign up for paperwork and administration. It's mundane. Life's mundane. You've got to wake up. You've got to brush your teeth. You've got to get dressed. You've got to feed your kids. You've got to put your underpants on and your pants and your socks and your shoes. And it's just like, ah. Oh. We, we have to learn to celebrate the mundane. We allow Jesus into the mundane. Because that's where we spend most of our lives, in the mundane. The routine, the boring, the everyday stuff. When we let Jesus in, we're acknowledging Jesus in that midst of that, that's praise. We've got the breaking of bread stuff, so that's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. I'll just put on that bowl back there. Thanks, Carlos. Not yet. We praise your name, Carlos. We praise your name. (laughs) So community singing. Declaration. Recounting stories of God's involvement. Commending the attributes of God to one another. Praying for God's involvement in our lives and our affairs. And sixthly, the public reading of Scripture. Paul writing to Timothy, don't neglect the public reading of Scripture. That's why we've added this little bit into our, our what, what, do we, what do we call our meeting? Our meeting, our, our order of service, our whatever. 
public reading of Scripture. There's something powerful. It's the acknowledgement of God and His Word and His life through the Scriptures. Those are all ways, and I'm sure you could think of a whole bunch more, of ways that we can praise God every day that's outside of the routine of gathering in the kind of our general church meeting. They were doing it every day, but we have to find a way to do that outside of their context, which is different from ours. So I want to say this. Please let us not reduce praise and worship to singing alone. At the same time, let's not undermine singing because it's really important because that's in the Bible a lot, more than a lot. So we can't undermine it. But there's more to praise and worship than singing. And we have to, as we grow in what it means to be disciples of Jesus, we want to learn to embrace more and more of that. And sometimes it takes a little bit of discipline. It takes a little bit of discipline to be here today. It took a little bit of discipline to stand and join with Clancy as he sang, and we sang with him. It takes a little bit of discipline. It takes a little bit of discipline for me to sit down and have a coffee with Shelley and start it with, isn't God good? Just a little bit of discipline. But something amazing, I believe, was our hearts will change. Our lives will change. We will remember that Jesus is the center of everything. Evangelism will just become a little easier rather than, I've got to share the gospel with Nancy. What am I going to say? I want to tell you about Jesus. He's so good because I'm experiencing him in my life. He's so wonderful. You're weird, maybe, but he's still wonderful. I think that we can make this stuff like, uh, what's the word? I'm like super spiritual, like weird. It's actually meant to be lived in the life that we live in. This, today, and we get an opportunity to sing a little bit. And maybe someone will be bold in the midst of that worship and actually stand up and declare something great about God. That would be amazing. But this little thing that we do today, us 30, how many, I don't many are here, as we raise our voices through the 24-hour period of today around the world. Some have ended their days. Hawaii is getting going. In the midst of all of that, we are joining with these millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of Christ followers raising their voices in song, throwing spiritual lead into the atmosphere, acknowledging Jesus, wrestling with the powers and principalities, and demonstrating to the kingdom of darkness what the future and all eternity will look like. Actually, part of this is about God's honor. And God from the throne in that river says, no, praise God. Why? Because that's part of the eternal mandate of God's people is the honoring of God. We do it now. We, it's a signpost of the future. Let's not undermine it. Um, one of the things why I think it's important to see that praise infiltrates all of our lives is that it helps us to deal with the sacred and secular. Because it's easy to reduce worship and praise to the, the sacred moment, you know, when we gather this church now. But actually we wanted to invade 
all of our lives because we're not sacred and secular. We are one person. We are one body. Wherever we are, however we are. To. So we want that to invade every part of our lives so that we, we just break that kind of weirdness. I think the outflow of such a life of praise, I've, I've written three and I'm sure there are hundreds, but I've, I've thought through three this morning. The outflow, the result of, of living like that, I think is that meaningful work. I think work will take on a whole new experience. Because suddenly we will see work as involving Jesus in my work and, and fulfilling a mandate that Jesus has given us to work. Make it meaningful at your office in the mundane. I think will be an overflow of a life of praise. Acknowledging Jesus in every aspect of your life. Number two, joyful family life. I think when we allow Jesus into our families, with our kids around the table, you know, we pray, thank you, God, for this food, bless it to our bodies. Lord, we just want to thank you that you are the provider. Just something. I think we're, going to, we're bringing Jesus into the midst in a real way. I think we'll see joy begin to happen, something new. That's what I, And then a celebration of living. I meet so many people just not enjoying life. And the scriptures, recording the words of Jesus, said, I've come to give you life. And whichever translation you choose, life abundant or life to the full. And I don't think a whole bunch of us, maybe including me, are living life to the full, full to the full, in abundance. And when I mean abundance, I'm not talking about God's throwing out gold from heaven and you just got rolling in cash. I'm not talking about that abundance. I'm talking about the abundance of living God life joyously, with purpose, with meaning in the mundane. See, as soon as we take our eyes off God and what he's done and what he's promised us into the future and all those things, we just got to be caught up with ourselves and the people around us and the sickness and the sadness and the divorce and the da-da-da-da. Just like, oh, I've got to survive today. But I think that we can lift by, by looking at Jesus, consider Jesus the author, the perfecter of our faith. I think we can lift our eyes, we can lift our gaze, that there's an attitude of worship and praise that grips us. It says, no, life is meaningful. Family is glorious. Life is to be lived to the full, to be dangerous. Take risks. It's okay. I think, it'll, I think there's something wonderful that can happen. It's not going to happen tomorrow, guys and gals. It's going to happen as we put in, begin to live this over our lifetime. That scripture from Deuteronomy, I want to read it again. And I'll show you how things go weird in our world. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. You shall therefore lay up these words. So Deuteronomy is Moses before he dies, before he hands over leadership to Joshua, and they're going to the promised land. He's reminding them of covenant and everything that God has done and all the goodness of God. It's this whole remembering and reminding of everything before they go in. 
and he's not going in. So he's given them the last, his last words. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. When you read that text, he's saying, these things that I've given you, I want you to live them all the time. When you go to sleep, when you rise, when you walk, when you sit. I want to, you know, so in, in Hasidic Jewish culture, very conservative Jewish culture, they actually have taken that literally, so they wrap things around their hands. What are those things called? And they tie them to their heads. They have a little bit of scripture in them. Because they bind them to yourselves. Put them as frontlets between your head. There's a name. I was, none of phylacteries. I was on a plane, international flight one day. In the middle, it was a certain time. This fellow got up and strapped himself in the middle of the flight and began to do his prayer. I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's I mean, the devotion is incredible. But I don't think that's what the text is saying. I think the text is saying, you need to get this in your head. This needs to be in the way that you live. Another verse somewhere says, bind it to your fingers. This, in everything that you do, God must be involved. The words that he has said, when you rise, when you sleep, when you walk, when you sit, let God be there. That's what this text is saying. God is saying, I'm with you. I want to be in every part. I am interested in every part of your life. The good bits, the bad bits. When you're screwing up, I'm, want, I'm there. When you're doing well, I'm there. When you're sick, I'm there. When you're well, I'm there. I think it's important. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, I'll just read a verse from there as well. You get the same idea. This word from the wise. Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son... Keep your father's commandment and for, forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. I've tried to figure out, taking that text from the previous one, where people literally tie things to their head and their hands, how they actually tie it to their heart. But anyway, bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you're awake, they will talk with you. It's just the sense of God involved in all of our lives, us acknowledging God and Him being involved in every part of our lives. Daily they praise God. Brian gave me this book. Whether for Christmas or birthday, I can't. And it's, it's quite beautiful. I want to read something from it. It will be done. And it's talking about uh, rediscovering what it means to be human. Much has been going on in the church life at the moment is rediscovering our humanity, that we are human. He says this, Human life was given for the love of God and the love of our neighbor in a local place for God's glory and the common good. Therefore, God intends to glorify himself 
and give you enjoyment in him by giving you three core truths by which to arrange your life and the way that you live. One, God has given you himself to surrender to and love. This means that to daily orient, orientate your life toward a moment-by-moment relationship with God is a great thing that brings glory to him. You needn't be anywhere else than where you are because Jesus is there too. Isn't that wonderful? Number two, God has given you a handful of persons that you are meant to love. This means you are meant for relationship with people. To enter this way of love for neighbor is to do a great thing that glorifies God. You needn't become somebody else or overlook those people who are right in front of you. The Lord is at work here doing great things. Don't we always want, if only I get there. If only I'm, I'm there. If only I succeed, then God. No, right now. Right now. Number three, God will give you a place to inhabit, which means that you are to get to become attentive to what is there where you are. This means that to dwell knowledgeably and hospitably in and toward the place God gives you is to glorify him. God will give you a few things that he intends for you to do in your inhabited place and with those people. To do what God gives you to do is to strengthen the common good and to glorify him. I won't read the rest, but what's it saying? It's saying, whatever you do, God is there. Your life, the people, the space that you're in, it's God is there, and therefore, if you, whatever you do in that way, with attentive to God, is praise. It brings glory to God because you're fulfilling the very mandate that He gave you to do. You bring glory to God. That's how I want us to live. That's the, I think that's the dream. So like, oh, we live to the glory of God by doing the things we have to do every day. Well, remembering Him, involving Him. Okay? Make sense? Clear? Anybody confused? So tomorrow when you wake up, if you remember, almost probably will forget. If you remember, acknowledge God today. When you have lunch tomorrow at work and you're scrambling with your lunch and you're shoving a sandwich down while trying to answer an email and speak on a call and someone's texting you, help God. And when you get home tomorrow night and you sit with your spouse or your family or your kids and you have a meal, thank, thank the Lord for provision. And when you put your head on the pillow and I feel you, thank you, God, that I made today. It was tough, but I made it. Thank you for helping me. Can I have a restful sleep? Amen. You're involving God in every part of your day.